A mother of three leaves her home to do some Christmas shopping one evening, and all signs of her and the van she was driving vanish into thin air. A mom of four leaves town with three of her children and her younger sister and never arrives at her final destination. A devoted mother and hairdresser drops her daughter off at school, promising to return in a few hours to pick her up. She's never seen again, and her husband has conflicting stories about where she went. Another woman leaves her infant girl with the baby's father and says she's taking a trip to Mexico to visit her mother. She never arrives. Her car is also missing, and her mother had no idea about any plans for her daughter to visit. Another mom embarks on a road trip from North Carolina to Tennessee one night after finishing up work, and her car is found at a rest stop less than halfway through the route. A young mother goes out for a late-night pharmacy run to get medicine for her toddler who is sick. She is never seen again, and her car is found abandoned on the interstate a few hours away. Some of these cases have resolutions, but most of them don't, leaving family members with a void they'll never be able to fill. There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode 26, Missing Moms in North Carolina. As a mother, having a child go missing is one of my biggest fears and always has been. I know I'm not alone in this fear. On the flip side of that, can you imagine being a child whose mother leaves for a road trip to see friends or out to go shopping and run errands and is never seen again? My heart goes out to all the families whose loved ones from North Carolina are featured here in this episode. First, I want to talk about a woman named Michelle Hundley-Smith, who went missing from Stoneville, near Eden, North Carolina, on December 9, 2001. That night, the 38-year-old mother of three headed out around 8.30 p.m. to do some Christmas shopping in nearby Martinsville, Virginia, which was about a 30-minute drive from their home. Her daughter, Amanda, who was 14 when Michelle went missing, spoke with Dateline at the end of 2020. She remembers her father waking her up after midnight, concerned because Michelle had not returned from shopping. She also wasn't at Amanda's grandmother's house nearby. They contacted the Rockingham County Sheriff's Office, and Amanda remembers there being some initial searches of the area. But Michelle has never been found, nor has the vehicle she was driving, a 1995 Pontiac Transport van. In the last several years, Amanda has tried to take the lead on moving the investigation forward and created a Facebook page called Bring Michelle Hunley-Smith Home. But it's difficult to make progress on a missing persons case when there is absolutely nothing to go on. The Rockingham County Sheriff's Office considers Michelle's disappearance an active investigation and also says she's an endangered missing person. Her three children, Amanda, her younger brother and older sister, all have children of their own now who would love the opportunity to get to know their grandmother. Her father has remarried, and Amanda told Dateline he always believed Michelle must have left the family of her own accord, something Amanda does not believe. She remembers Michelle as always being a doting mother, 
cooking their favorite meals and waiting for them at home when they got off the bus. Back in an October 19, 2019 Facebook post, Amanda wrote, Today is my mom's birthday, and I miss her so much. She is 56 today. Been gone for almost 20 years. Mama, there is so much I wish I could talk to you about. Not a day goes by that I don't think of you. I love you so much. I just wish I could know the truth. At the time of her disappearance, Michelle Hundley-Smith stood between 5 foot 3 and 5 foot 5 inches tall. She had brown hair and hazel eyes and weighed around 150 pounds. She was last seen wearing a green blouse, blue jeans, and brown moccasins. She was wearing her wedding ring and a gold ring with four birthstones in it and would be 57 years old today. Anyone with information on Michelle's case should contact the Rockingham County Crime Stoppers at 336-349-9683. Next, I'd like to discuss the case of a missing mom in Fayetteville who disappeared with her sister and three of her four children back in 1996. Robbie Ann Floyd was 32 at the time and married to her third husband, a man named Jason Floyd. A neighbor saw Robbie outside of the family's residence on December 1, 1996, packing boxes in her blue van. Robbie told the neighbor she was driving to Alabama to visit her father, who was ill. She was with a woman whom she introduced as her mother and seemed to be in a hurry to get the van loaded. Robbie was also accompanied by her younger sister, Jennifer Hughes, who was 17 at the time, and her three children, Serena Glenn, age 11, and twins Brent and Brittany Hughes, who were four years old. Robbie also had a fourth child, a son named Brandon, that stayed behind with his dad, Jason. After that evening, the trail of Robbie Ann Floyd, her sister, and her three children goes cold. What makes this case even more perplexing is the conflicting information out there on various news sites. On the Charlie Project entry about Robbie Ann's disappearance, it states that Jason told police he spoke with her shortly after she left North Carolina and that she was staying at a motel near where her father lived, in Alabama. But Robbie's father never heard from her and eventually passed away in 1998. Also, Robbie's mother claimed she was not with her daughter on the day she was preparing to leave for Alabama. So who was the woman that the neighbor saw? Jason and son Brandon left the Fayetteville area soon after in February 1997, but he didn't report Robbie Ann missing until two years later. It appears as if the couple was separated at the time she went missing. Serena Glenn's father spoke with a reporter for WRAL in 2011 over the pain of not knowing where his daughter, the oldest of Robbie's children, is. Here's another mystery. Over the years, witnesses have come forward saying they've seen Robbie's sister, Jennifer Hughes, at a local Walmart in Fayetteville. But investigators also say the social security numbers for the four people have shown no signs of activity. They believe if Robbie is still alive, she may be using an alias with the names Presley or Glenn. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of Robbie Ann Floyd, Jennifer Hughes, Serena Glenn, or twins Brent and Brittany Hughes are encouraged to call the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office at 910-677-5400.
The next missing mom is the oldest case in this episode. 52-year-old Helen Lundgren Dalton went missing on April 3, 1963, from Greensboro after dropping her daughter off at high school. She said she would be back in a few hours to take her daughter to a dentist appointment. But Helen didn't return to the school. Instead, her son arrived and said their father had asked him to take the daughter to the dentist appointment instead. Their father told the children Helen had decided to go to a church conference in Winston-Salem with a female friend. They never saw their mother again. At the time she went missing, Helen, who ran a beauty salon out of their home and had been married to her husband Donald for 19 years, lived with their two teens. Helen's sister, who lived in Michigan, became suspicious when she received two letters from Helen in April and May of 1963. The letters were typewritten, and normally Helen corresponded in longhand. Her sister could never seem to reach Helen by phone. Donald always had an excuse that she wasn't there. He ran an air conditioning and heating installation business out of a shop behind their home. Helen's sister reported her missing in August of that year. When police interrogated Donald, he told them conflicting stories. The name of the friend and church conference Helen had supposedly left to attend the day she went missing were fake. He also tried to tell them she had left town with another woman to start a relationship and refused to take a polygraph examination. Police were confused as to why Helen's personal belongings, such as a dental plate and the eyeglasses she normally wore, along with her suitcase, were left behind. With no physical evidence, the case of Helen's disappearance went cold for many years. During that time, Donald had continued to tell people that Helen had grown tired of her life and simply left him and their kids. He remarried two more times and moved away from the area. In late 1993, investigators received word the home Helen had disappeared from had been sold and moved, with the land now sitting vacant next to a Kmart parking lot on Murr's Chapel Road. The new owner of the land gave the police permission to excavate the property, as they had always suspected Helen might be buried there. But the search had to be stopped due to safety concerns, and no human remains were ever found. At the time she went missing, Helen Dalton was a white female who stood 5 feet 7 inches tall and weighed around 150 pounds. Anyone with information on this case should contact the Greensboro Police Department at 336-373-1000. Before we continue, let's take a minute for a word from our sponsor. I've always enjoyed writing fiction, but I didn't really get serious about it until I was in my 30s. After submitting to the WOW Flash Fiction Contest a few times, I was thrilled when I placed as a runner-up with my piece titled In the Depths. WOW still hosts a quarterly writing contest every three months, and I highly recommend entering it. The entry fees are minimal, and you can also purchase a critique to get feedback on your story once the contest concludes. The mission of this contest is to inspire creativity, great writing, and provide well-rewarded recognition to contestants. The contest is open globally, age is of no matter, and entries must be in English. And the best part is that the contest is open to all genres, from romance, to science fiction, to thriller suspense, to literary fiction. 
literary agent Emily Forney with Bookends Literary Agency will be serving as the judge for the finalists in this most recent contest. You can learn more about the contest guidelines at wow-womenonwriting.com. Submit your entry by May 31st for the spring contest. And now, let's get back to the show. More recently, a mother from Asheboro named Nancy Troche Garcia went missing after leaving her five-month-old daughter with the baby's father. Nancy was last seen attending a birthday party with her baby, Natalia, on May 20th, 2018. A few days later, a co-worker of Nancy's contacted the Asheboro Police Department and asked them to do a welfare check because Nancy had not shown up for work for several days. Her car, a Burgundy 2001 Chevy Impala, had also disappeared along with her. According to what Nancy's ex-boyfriend and his sister told police, Nancy had left the baby with them because she said her mother was ill in Mexico and she needed to travel back there to help. However, once police talked to Nancy's mother in Mexico, she seemed confused by the story that Nancy had traveled there. She said she had spoken to Nancy the week before and her daughter had seemed in good spirits, but Nancy's mother was not ill and there were no plans for the two to see one another. According to an article I found on NBC News Dateline, Olin Doss, a retired deputy sheriff and member of a Hispanic outreach committee based in Columbus, Georgia, traveled to Asheboro to help Nancy's family, as well as reach out to the Hispanic population in the area. He told Dateline that many in the Hispanic community are afraid to report crimes and missing people because they may be undocumented. So their stories are left untold. Crimes are not reported. We're here to help. In December of 2019, members of an organization called United in Prayer held a candlelight vigil for Nancy Garcia. Their hope was to raise awareness of the roadblocks in Nancy's case and to appeal to members of the Hispanic community who may know something about her disappearance. Nancy grew up in Mexico, one of five children with a solid work ethic and an ambition to build a good life for herself. She moved to the United States in 2011 with the man to whom she was engaged. Her mother Maria told Dateline that their marriage was not a good one, but Nancy was able to branch out on her own and become a U.S. citizen. She eventually met the man who became Natalia's father, but I haven't been able to find a record of his name or his sister's name. In January of 2020, investigators revealed a piece of information they had uncovered after accessing Nancy's Google account. She had traveled to the town of Madison in order to visit a car dealership, but investigators were unable to glean any other information from that visit. United in Prayer member Alma Enciso said, We need people in the community to speak up and share any information that they have. We need a full investigation by authorities so we can finally know what happened to Nancy. Anyone with information is asked to call 336-626-1316 or to contact Crime Stoppers at 336-672-7463. I'd like to offer a word of caution concerning the remaining cases in this podcast episode. They contain descriptions of sexual assault and murder, so listener discretion is advised for anyone under the age of 13 or who is sensitive to these topics in particular. A man named Terry Alvin Hyatt 
is responsible for at least two mothers in North Carolina who never made it home to their children. Harriet Delaney Simmons was a 40-year-old mother of seven when she went missing on April 15, 1979. She left her job on Capitol Boulevard in Raleigh with plans to drive straight through the night to visit with friends in Nashville, Tennessee. She never arrived at her destination. Her kids knew something had to be wrong because she would have called home if she had run into any problems during the drive. About a week later, investigators found Harriet's abandoned car at a rest stop along I-40 in Iredell County, which would have been about four hours from her home in Raleigh. Her suitcase was still in the car, along with a thermos of food that belonged to her. A year later, skeletal remains with the markings of stab wounds were found in the Pisgah National Forest outside of Asheville. They were eventually identified as belonging to Harriet Simmons. In August of 1979, 21-year-old Betty Sue McConnell left her job at a restaurant on Tunnel Road in Asheville and told her mother she planned to meet friends at a local bowling alley. Instead, several hours later, a couple that lived close to the French Broad River heard screams and saw a soaking wet Betty Sue stumble towards them. She managed to tell them she'd been stabbed and thrown into the river. She later died from her injuries leaving behind a two-year-old daughter. Investigators had no leads on who could have murdered these two women, nor did they pinpoint that there could have been a connection between them. It wasn't until a man named Jerry Harmon told investigators in Asheville in 1999 that he'd been with a friend named Terry Hyatt the night Betty Sue McConnell was killed. He said that he couldn't keep the secret bottled up inside any longer. During the murder trial of the two women, more details came to light. According to an article I found in the Asheville Citizen Times, a friend of Hyatt's named Lester Dean Helms told police he was with Hyatt when they abducted a woman from a rest area off I-40, sexually assaulted her, and then robbed her. He claimed he did not know if Hyatt had murdered Harriet. He had only seen her walk into a wooded area, and Hyatt returned with blood on his shirt. The article didn't mention the location of where this final sighting of Harriet was. A jury convicted Hyatt of the kidnapping, rape, and murder of Harriet Simmons and Betty Sue McConnell in January of 2000, and he is now on death row. But the story of the pain that Terry Hyatt brought to North Carolina families did not end there, as there are more layers to the story. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department established their first cold case squad in 2003. One of the cases they looked at first was the 1987 murder of a 19-year-old young woman named Jerry Ann Jones. Jones, who was working as a cashier at a Harris Teeter grocery store in Charlotte, disappeared while waiting for her boyfriend to pick her up from work on July 8, 1987. Two days later, police found her nude body about a mile away from her place of employment. She had been sexually assaulted and stabbed, but the case quickly went cold. When the cold case unit started examining the evidence in Jerry's case, they discovered a cigarette butt near the body along with semen. The DNA evidence matched Terry Hyatt, and he ended up confessing to her murder in 2005. He pled guilty and received a life sentence in exchange for his confession. There is another woman, Carolyn Brigman, who also had a run-in with Hyatt.
but survived the ordeal. Prosecutors called her to testify in Hyatt's murder trial for Harriet Simmons and Betty Sue McConnell. Carolyn Brigman was a 40-year-old mother of five who worked the late shift at a donut shop on Patton Avenue in Asheville. One night in October of 1979, she finished her shift at 2 a.m. only to find her car wouldn't start. Because she lived in an apartment complex not too far away, she decided to make the walk home. Hyatt appeared at that moment and forced her to get in his truck, threatening her with a knife. As he drove her past a nearby river, she tried to distract him by commenting how pretty it was. His reply, I've put a lot of bodies there. He parked and asked her to get undressed. She told him she didn't want to do that, that he was a nice young man and she was an older woman with children. For reasons unknown to Carolyn, he set the knife he was holding down and said, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to give you back your life. He dropped Carolyn back off where he had found her and threatened that if she ever told anyone what had happened, he would find her, cut her up into little pieces, and throw her in the river. Carolyn Brigman didn't let Hyatt's threats intimidate her, though. She reported him to the police, and he pled guilty to armed robbery and kidnapping. At the time, investigators had no idea he had already murdered the two women in the months prior. While I was researching the victims of Terry Alvin Hyatt, I came across a similar case from 1983 in Fayetteville. I will preface this part by saying I have no evidence that Terry Hyatt is involved in this particular disappearance, but the circumstances, a young woman going out alone at night to run an errand with her car showing up on the interstate later, was eerily similar to the way Hyatt operated. I don't know if Hyatt ever passed through Fayetteville, and there is no evidence linking him to this crime but it's a sad situation for her family nonetheless. Frankie Darlene Horsley was only 19 years old when she went missing from Fayetteville on March 10, 1983. At the time, she was mom to an 18-month-old son. Frankie's mother had died in a car accident when she was a child, and an aunt and uncle ended up raising her. At the time of her disappearance, she was separated from her son Roger's father. On the night she went missing, Frankie was headed to a nearby pharmacy to pick up medicine for Roger, who was ill and running a fever. She never returned, and her family members reported her missing four days later. They were confused because Frankie had only meant to be gone for a short amount of time, and there was no indication she had just decided to leave town of her own will without Roger. The mystery deepened when her car was found about a week later, located on Interstate 20 West, headed in the direction of Georgia. Some of Frankie's clothes were located inside the locked vehicle, but the keys were nowhere to be found. I've seen this case mentioned on Facebook and in an article on Dateline that I'll link on the Missing in the Carolinas website. Frankie's son, who is now a grown adult, believes the family knows who is responsible for her disappearance, but because of the time period, the car was not thoroughly examined before being returned to the family. Frankie has never been found. Frankie Darlene Horsley would be 56 years old today. She is five foot three with blue eyes and brown hair. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office at 910-323-1500.
This brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Missing in the Carolinas. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also now on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So please like our pages and get started on a discussion of the missing people profiled on the show. Do you know of a missing persons case in North or South Carolina that you think should be covered? Email me at missinginthecarolinas at gmail.com with any details you can share. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. Thanks so much for listening.